What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 97 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> it's Wednesday, June 6, 2018. We're already like, what, halfway? Yeah, halfway through 2018. Mm-hmm. So far, I'm not very impressed. I'm here with my, yeah. co- I'm here with my co-host, Mike. It's been there. It, it, I could have could have had a better year. I've been dealing with a lot of family drama and you know stuff like that, and that's pretty stressful. And and um, you know, this one I think things are getting better. They don't, and you know they don't get worse, but then they still say the same. So that's just really frustrating. Um, I'm actually going to. Make an attempt again to try to get a job next month, see what happens, because um, I just feel like I need to... Well, it's just something to help me, personally, <laughs> to get my self-esteem back up in terms of uh, working, and also, you know, I, I could use the money, and so could my, so could my mom, because there's just a lot of stuff going on financially, and so on and so forth, that, you know... I just feel it's like now, like I feel the pressure, like I should do something or at least try. I heard in this economy, it's it's like the unemployment rates are the lowest they've been in a long time. And people are actually finding it hard to get to fill positions because there's so many apparently jobs out there. to Yeah, I remember hearing that. And that's that's (laughs) do you feel like that's bullshit? Well, I mean, it could be bullshit. But at the same time, it's like I could see them picking and choosing certain individuals and it, with my work history it's just terrible so it's like one of those things where i'm stuck between a rock and a hard place so I, i'll just see what happens you know fingers crossed somebody will give me a chance um i'm not really a bad worker it's just i have bad uh, I've, I've had bad experiences and with management they've just decided to screw me over so it's like i don't even know how i can <laughs> use my experience which isn't a lot is it's 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 a situation that i know a lot of people actually do understand and probably deal with but there's probably a lot of other people that don't get that because they always fall into whatever job they can get or they have they know the right people and so on and so forth and jobs come easy to them and i can tell you this not how it is for for me. me Every job I've ever gotten into, every single one, and I've had about 10 jobs at this point, it's been because of a, of a hookup or a connection. It's because yeah, I, exactly. I knew somebody who already worked there, blah, blah, blah. I remember when I was 15, my mom was like real big on me going out and getting a job for the summer and shit. And I remember mm-hmm. going out and applying to all these places and you realize that you're it's kind of a shitty system because... They want people with experience, but you don't get experience until that person takes a chance on you and gives you an opportunity and you gain that experience. Exactly. So you need somebody. And that's why you see the teenagers at all the low level positions like cashier and all that, because that requires the least amount of experience. And they just then that's then you have a problem when you're older. Then they don't go with you for those positions. They go with the younger people because of whatever preconceived notion that might be. Let's use the teenager. They have a fresher face or something. 
that's why college has been like my job for the longest time is because I'm not going to get turned down by call by by college. Right. Well, you you're, you're paying them, so of course they're <laughs> not going to turn them. you. They're not exactly. going to turn you down. Yeah. 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 Before we go any further, I definitely want to say and mention, and a lot of you already know. Well, some of you already know, but there's a lot of you that listen to this podcast that aren't on our group. If you want to join our we- Facebook group, it is Uncovering Unexplained uh-huh. Mysteries. You can just search that on Facebook. But. uh yeah, we finally have merch now. We finally yes, we finally have some sweet merch. Yeah, we got t. I had t-shirts made locally. Um, I mean, because that means something to people. So, you know, some people out there. Oh, it's locally sourced cotton, and the the shirt was treated nicely when it was screen printed, and and it was given them. <laughs> Each T-shirt, it was, pat- it's, it was padded on the back. It I was can given compliments. I can make this promise to you. Each T-shirt was hand massaged by me before I shipped them out. So if you order <laughs> one of our T-shirts, I can give you my word: it was hand massaged by me, Josh Cannon. <laughs> no, we do have the T-shirts out now. We've already, I've always sold about like twenty of them so far. Um, mm-hmm. It's a limited supply. I had fifty made, so we'll see what happens. And I, you know, I might get more. if I sell out all fifty, I'll make another run. But just know that, um, you know, they may not be around forever. I'm trying to do that business thing right now where I make it seem like it's a limited supply, so hopefully people will buy. You know, <laughs> so buy you're gonna it. do it like the record, the unsolved mysteries record. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess I kind of fucked up by saying I'm actually doing this, you know, on purpose. So now I'm mm-hmm. like letting people behind the veil. But anyway, yeah, the shirts look great. Shout out to all the people uh, who bought one already. Um, you should be coming by the time you hear this podcast. You'll have the shirt. Uh, Mike got his shirt. He's wearing it right yep. now. Uh, we even got some snazzy mugs, which the guy only gave us two. Um, but people expressed interest in that. So I don't know. We might get some mugs made down the road. I want a skeptic whistle made with our yeah. logo on it. <laughs> and if, for those of you who don't remember, it's uh, it's that little <laughs> guy right br- there. Just bring that in and see if they can put a design on it. I might just order some black skeptic whistles and get like uh, black stickers with our yeah. logo on it and just wrap yeah. it myself or something. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, sell, sell them for $30 that each. Could... <laughs> I wouldn't go that high. That could be like a Patreon perk. Uh, I, I'll, I'll pay five cents per whistle and I'll sell them for 25 bucks. I'll do, I'll, <laughs> I'll do what all those douchebag rock bands do at their concerts where oh, you yeah. go in there and it's like, you know, they, they're selling their t-shirts for like 40 bucks a pop. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? But that's how uh-huh. I, I, I feel for them though. I'm not like, I should take back douchebag comment because that's the only way they, you can make money now in the music industry. If you is like, touring and selling merch and shit so i mean mm-hmm. you know that's really you know that's they have to do well, that kind a of lot hustle. of youtubers make some money too is through just selling merch yeah merch yeah that's the best way to to do it but anyway i'm not this isn't a uh a e-commerce uh podcast no, this is not an econ <laughs> podcast yeah um yeah so yeah, this is a podcast about the show Unsolved Mysteries. We don't always talk about that, of course, but uh, this particular segment, it is all about Unsolved Mysteries. As we re- reach our 100th episode, we got to confer at some point, Mike, and figure out exactly like what, how you know how we're going to ring that in and celebrate it. I know we have a few ideas, but um, definitely got to get the fans involved in that somehow. Probably do yeah, a- we, never, we can have another Q&A. Q&A, something like that. Maybe yeah. do it live or something on the podcast. I, I don't know how any of that shit works. <laughs> I wish we were like a ta- just a little bit smarter when it came to technology because there's a bunch of cool streaming stuff 
that. <laughs> well, I have a, I have a streaming uh, thing called OBS Screen Recorder, but like I don't. I, I've I've streamed on YouTube before, but I mean, it just depends. I guess you could give it a shot. It's more complicated when you have two people from other sides of the country trying to. Yeah, be on the same well, there's thing. Google Hangouts. Remember, we used that, but then that was kind of a pain in the ass. That but... was so confusing. I literally don't remember <laughs> one single step on how to do that again if I had to. It was like. It was like I constructed a pyramid and then someone's like, yeah, re redo that. It's like, I have no idea how I did it the first time, honestly. <laughs> I must have been drunk or something. I don't know. So um, speaking of Unsolved Mysteries, because that's the theme of this podcast for the most part, until we run out of Unsolved Mysteries, which is a possibility. That's going to take forever. Yeah. Especially when we cut started cutting the episodes down to two segments instead of like three or four, like what we were. Well, I mean, in terms of running out of good cases to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think at that point people will be so. If we, if we get to the lost loves, it'll be like <laughs> in treasure segments and all this other stuff. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Miracles. God, I love nothing you, but miracles. I love how you say miracles. Miracles, <laughs> not mare. No, you're fine. Say it however you want. Live your life. So anyway, um, the first case we're gonna we're going to discuss today is of a real asshole, a murdering dunce named Gregory Barker. Now, maybe he's not really a dunce, but if you look at his photo, like he totally looks like a dunce. He, he, the only thing that's missing from this photo is a dunce cap. Yeah, the mugshot picture of him, it looks like he's literally in, right in the middle of saying, Duh! <laughs> and they like took his picture. He looks, yeah. he reminds me of, um, looks drunk. God, he, he kind of looks like Chevy Chase, like slightly, <laughs> but like Chevy Chase is like, mentally special cousin or something like <laughs> oh no i said um, hey i said mentally special that 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 is okay i, I think as far as political oh, no, some of them is. would be like remember you're special because that turned into an insult later because you know when people are talking about how somebody is is special but special um, could special could infer a bunch of different things. It's not yeah. necessarily inferring one single thing. So, but I, I get the Chevy Chase thing, maybe. But he looks like he just who's that guy? Um, God, he he's that actor. He was in Curb Your Enthusiasm. I know, like no one's gonna. He looks exactly like the guy who um, Larry David when he wanted to get the wire buried in the back of his yard. His his dickhead neighbor who was this lawyer guy. And they also crushed his glasses in a later episode. I know that that's going to make sense to like two people who watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. He kind of he kind of reminds me of Joe Don Baker a little bit. Um, but anyway, uh, Gregory Barker, uh, also known as Alex Graham and Alexander Graham. Surprised he didn't put a bell at the end of that. <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell. Oh, there, uh, my, there's Mike <laughs> with the dad jokes coming in as as usual, <laughs> right on time. So, on, on March 25th, 1982, 43-year-old divorcee Hilda Amelia Roche met a man at a singles bar in Alexandria, Virginia. Hilda told friends that she later had dinner with the man and planned on meeting him again. Must have been a decent date. She also stated that he had a lot of money and a nice car. However, she never told friends his name. And, of course, her friends were also like, well, that, could, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, 
Hilda, like they could just uh, have rented that car and could be acting like they have a lot of money, but they really don't. You know, I, I also got to say, I got to point out here, um, this is probably one of the worst castings of uh, reenactors that is supposed to portray yeah. the guy. Because uh -huh. the duncy looking guy we're referring to, Gregory Barker, the person they casted to reenact him, he looks uh, 15 to 20 years older than the actual yeah, guy. Yeah, he does. And he looks so he's, different than the actual... He's also fatter. Yeah, a lot sure. fatter. And he looks so different than the real guy that I got confused when I was watching this segment because I was like, wait a second. <laughs> is it, are they introducing a new like character into the story right now or something? Because who the hell is... Is that is that old guy? Was that this guy the whole time? That <laughs> it, it looks so bad. Like they did such a bad job, like casting on on this one. So on April first, nineteen eighty two, a woman's body was found in the woods near an elementary school. That's one hell of an April Fool's. That is so terrible. Like really, like awful, awful. <laughs> You'll never remember that if, if you were involved with that. Like if you if the, if any kids saw that near the elementary school or any, you know, the people who found the body like they will always associate April 1st with that one day they found a woman's body in the woods with a gunshot in the back of the head. There were also signs of sexual assault. Oh, OK, so it's it's a bonus. Wonderful. Uh, at the time, however, police could not identify her. Four days later, Hilda's friends reported her missing. Police searched her apartment and found her wallet in the living room. After looking at her driver's license, they determined that she was the woman found murdered four days earlier. Evidence in her bedroom confirmed that she had been sexually assaulted. Inside her room, they found her blouse, slacks, and pantyhose. They also found adhesive tape. Because there were no signs of forced entry at the apartment, the investigators suspected that she knew her killer. When investigators questioned Hilda's friends, they learned about the mysterious man that she had met at the bar. She had told her friends that he was from Florida, drove a nice car, was a consultant to the government, and lived in an apartment complex in Alexandria. The 1,400-unit apartment complex was the only clue investigators had to the man's identity. They searched through lease agreements going back three years. After going through more than 25,000 files, they came up with 32 possible names of men that matched Hilda's date and description three months into the investigation investigators received a break in the case they learned that hilda had lost her wallet on the night that she had met the man for unknown reasons the man insisted that he be contacted if her wallet was found a few days later the restaurant found her wallet the man returned and picked up her wallet the restaurant owner remembered little about the man but she agreed to undergo hypnosis in hopes of remembering more information i don't do they even do hypnosis anymore like is this just something that happened like in the 80s and the 90s yeah i don't know about that it does seem like that's like a really uh that that was like a go-to in this show that you don't really hear about like i remember watching like for, you know the first 48 and you know uh like 48 hours on the investigation yeah. discovery and it never seemed like they were like and then the woman was hypnotized you know they don't bring in the hypnotists yeah. you know <laughs> yeah with his uh, swinging uh, clock or something, or the metronome, or uh, you are getting sleepy. The spirally sleepy. black and white pinwheel thing. Sleepier. No, you are. No, you are. No, you are. 
Is that a movie reference, Mike? <laughs> oh, God, that was evil sounding. <laughs> so, um, the investigators can, uh, so, uh, they had the hypnotist, so the, the, uh, the, uh, restaurant owner, she agreed to undergo hypnosis. She recalled a phone number belonging to the man. The hypnotist advised investigators that the numbers may not be in the correct order. So they might just be wrong. <laughs> they may not be in the correct order, and they may not may not even be correct. Yeah. <laughs> it might not even be a real number. Yeah, I didn't even really think about that when I was watching it, but now as you mentioned, it's like, they may not be in the correct order, a.k.a. They may not be right. Like it may be a wrong number that you that she was giving you that she's giving you a bullshit number, as it were. Maybe the guy gave him a bullshit her a bullshit number ahead of time. You know, like some women do to dates. Yeah, you know, but they don't trust. But either way, it's like, you know, I don't know. It's kind of one of those like fancier ways to say that. Yeah, we don't really have anything here. You know, the, yeah. some of the numbers we gave you may not be right. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say so, that's of much use there, would you? No. So investigators compared the phone number with the numbers belonging to 32 suspects. They came up with one almost exact match. 38-year-old Gregory Barker. Well, I guess it worked. It's a coincidence. Barker was a former marshal in Vietnam. Interestingly, he moved out of the apartment just a few days after the murder. Investigators could find no evidence that he actually worked for a government agency. Investigators later matched fingerprints found in Hilda's apartment to Barker. They believe that on the night of the murder, Barker arrived at Hilda's house, returned her wallet, and then asked to come inside. They believe that he took her to the be her bedroom and then sexually assaulted her. After that, he kidnapped her, took her to the schoolyard nine miles away, and then killed her. He is now wanted for Hilda's murder, and investigators suspect that he may have been responsible for other murders. They suspect that he could even be a serial killer. Now, um... The whole thing with this character, with this, uh, not necessarily character, but with this uh, man, uh, I thought was kind of interesting is that they mentioned that he was a former marshal in Vietnam. And then they were talking about how he might have been so caught up in some fantasy that he was a government agent that that led to the murder and the type of stuff that he's been doing. Like he followed her around. He did all this other sort of stuff. Um and uh, I thought I remember I heard I saw something. It was a post on uh, the sitcoms online message forum, and there was somebody who mentioned something I thought was pretty interesting. That maybe uh, his time at Vietnam might have contributed to the deterioration of his mental state, and that's what led to him thinking that he's some secret double agent or something, and it severely damaged his psyche. So this guy was basically delusional. Yes. Very. So this case was also uh, profiled on America's Most Wanted. Uh, it aired on the April 24th, 1991 episode of Unsolved Mysteries. And uh, he was captured. Uh, Barker was arrested by federal agents in Phoenix, Arizona, where he had been working in a phone room on April 25th, 1991, the day following the airing of the Unsolved Mysteries episode. Pictures showing him allegedly robbing and threatening the teller were used for identification. At the same time, Barker was arrested as a suspect in investigation of the Hilda Roche murder, as well as 16 other murders, one of which was the kidnapping and murder of Lisa Jo Shaner, the daughter of a Tucson FBI agent. Barker was initially arrested by federal agents on a bank robbery charge from Nevada. 
He was captured the day following the air date when a woman working on the floor above identified him from the show that aired that day before. He had heard that somebody thought that they had seen him on TV that evening, but they thought it was America's Most Wanted. So when he saw that it wasn't on that evening, he thought somebody was just kidding around with him. <laughs> that's funny because it's, it, it's somebody that's nice. There's like a little uh, mix up between America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Because they were on around the same time. And they were competing with each other. You know, whole sort of like, okay, the Unsolved Mysteries was different because it was also doing Lost Loves and Miracles and uh, Strange Legends and Bigfoot and Aliens and stuff. And America's Most Wanted was just strictly the crime stuff. So uh, he thought it was somebody just kidding around with him. He came into work the next day only to find several agents ready to arrest him. They did so without incident. <laughs> Good for them. Uh Exactly. Um, ironically, because he was working in a phone room, associates were known to press him about his al alias, Alexander Graham, as an Alexander Graham Bell. I was right. See, it wasn't really necessarily just a dad joke. Like, that's really what he was going You're for. You're right, Mike. You had prior knowledge that, that you know, this was no, going to be I, the I case. Thought it, I, no, I mean, I just thought, that I, I made a wild guess because who else would, why would you do that? Unless you're like a super Alexander Graham Bell fan. <laughs> I don't know very many of them out there. You know there are people like that out there, though. There's probably some, like, 55-year-old guy in his garage who has all this older. Alexander Graham Bell memorabilia and knows all <laughs> this random shit. And he, some 85-year-old Alexander Graham Bell. He probably goes out on, like, like, his online dates and, like, tells the chicks, like, all this useless information about Alexander Graham <laughs> Bell to, like, impress them. And they're just like, wow, that's really cool, man. <laughs> and he's like, wow, he's really into me and my knowledge of Alexander Graham Bell. I knew this would pay off. <laughs> so um, when he was not working, he was known to walk the streets late at night eventually spending the night in all-night theaters. Uh, so, porno houses? Like, I'm, unless there's an all-night movie... Are there all-night movie theaters anymore? I know they normally stop showing things after midnight, usually. But is there, like, an all-night... I mean, I guess he's having an all-nighter somewhere. I don't know where. I just remember in Taxi Driver, De Niro's character went to the those, like, you know like porno yeah, theaters the cd porno theater and he took the girl there <laughs> yeah thinking she'd be into that shit what a dummy that, that, that's a great movie <laughs> you talking to me oh uh, yeah so he was known to have served two tours in vietnam barker has since claimed his eventual capture and arrest were all part of a military cover-up of course you see it's the military you know it's a conspiracy man <laughs> it's a conspiracy it's the government in May of 1992, Barker was convicted of first-degree murder and was sentenced to 60 years in prison. He is now deceased. It is unknown if Barker is still suspected in other murders. The murder of Lisa Jo Shaner is no longer believed to be connected to him. Her killer was identified as William Floyd Zamastil, who was convicted of her murder in 2011. What a last name. Sounds like a prescription drug. <laughs> it does. So, um, with Barker... Um, <laughs> I would not be surprised if he did kill more than one person. Considering he was clearly delusional and out of his mind, he was not in he was not in control kind of thing. Like he was just in his own mind all the time. So like he could have easily killed somebody because he felt that they were 
uh, a part of the government cover up or or a military double agent or something and so on and so forth. It's a very dangerous individual, despite the fact that, you know, his mugshot does not really show that at all. Yeah, his mugshot looks like somebody caught him in the middle of eating like a salad or something. Duh, what? <laughs> I don't think that would be a salad. <laughs> or maybe... Uh, or, like or a foot long maybe or maybe at, like after like fresh out of his lobotomy or something. I don't know. It was it was it was it was a foot long. He was at Subway and he was eating a foot long, and then somebody is this a, is this a dick sucking joke, Mike? Him. No, oh, it's not. Um, foot long sub. I feel embarrassed. I <laughs> thought our podcast had more class than that, Josh. Yeah, I did too. Well, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, the case of Gregory Barker. I don't really have anything else to say about it. You know, when you go, oh, I actually had something I wanted to comment about that. Uh, at the beginning of the segment, they said that um, Roche met Barker at a, quote, fashionable singles bar. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is a fashionable singles bar? And I also feel like when Unsolved Mysteries uses the word fashionable, that's basically their way of saying hipster. And met, yeah. met at a hipster bar where a lot of single people go, perhaps. I don't know. That's another question. Do they have all my night movie theaters? Do they have actual singles bars that only single people go to? Is that a real thing? I don't know. It might have been. And did they have did they have said fashionable ones? And what would make it fashionable? Are we talking the eighties? Would it be the clothes? Did they have a bunch of like new romantic and new wave type um like art on the wall? Like this like <laughs> all these really white-faced characters with this, like, Japanese-style huh. face paint looking like a Duran Duran cover. Did they have a, a dress code? I don't know, but... In terms, of, in terms either, of being fashionable? I mean, I remember how they were dressed in that scene, and they all looked like they were, like, business casual. Uh, yeah. Like, the dude was wearing a suit. I'd say that's one thing that kind of dates the show more than anything, because, like, you never have, like... I mean, unless they're doing like a country bar, but even then, you know, the, the you don't see the the Guidos in in the in the bar, you know, <laughs> you know, fist pumping. Well, I mean, you don't. You know, it's you, a loud music. You also don't see anybody <laughs> with like tattoos, like young people with like like sleeves yeah. and like fucking piercings and stuff like that. The gauges. There's a lot of that now. Yeah, I'd say more so in the early 2000s. Now the gauges have tapered off, but man, that gauge thing. I'm just, they're just my personal. There's still a lot of that. Like, especially if you hang out in certain areas. Like, I'm I, like, I'm cool with all like tattoos and piercings. Obviously, I have a bunch myself, but that gauge thing, man, I can never get behind that because it literally not only if, if you go too far with it, it's, it deforms your ear and disfigures it. Does. it. And it that, makes it all uh, loopy and looks like a droopy, like a sagging elephant scrotum or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, and then on top I'm just of that, imagining older, uh, uh, hipsters and punkers and stuff like that in the future and they're nursing home with their long flappy ears and <laughs> sagging skin and everything yeah it's like you look Just, at someone no. like that and it's like they were either in a primitive african tribe or they were a 2005 hipster in the united states or hardcore kid <laughs> or scene kid or whatever it's either one or the other we don't know these <laughs> holes in their ears um and man, that shit stinks. If you get around someone who hasn't washed that shit very well, whoo, man, gauges reek. They smell so bad, dude. Oh, my God. Because, I mean, it's essentially, it's 
it's it's it's uh not rotting skin but uh like an sweat. it's an open wound essentially it's a lot of sweat it's sweat it's uh bacteria because it's mm -hmm. trying to heal anyway i don't want to get into that but <laughs> i like to go to one of these fashionable singles bars one of these days and see if people are still dressed from like the 1800s in there like they were in the segment that'd be interesting it wasn't the 1800s. Yeah, it wasn't the 1800s, but to me it might as well be because I I never see people dress like that. I like how I antiquate or I, or I not antiquate. I equate people dressing. That would be crazy if I go to a singles bar and they're and, and singles bar and they're dressed up like you know aristocrats, aristocrats for the fucking uh, 1800s. <laughs> yeah, like I I am I am so poor and I have lived in such a like middle class like lower middle class area my whole life. The, the twirly mustaches and, and the top hats. Yes, I get it, Mike. I'm I'm on a different <laughs> statement now. Uh, <laughs> I I I just equate like people dressing nice with like aristocratic high society. When when in reality, many people just dress nice for their jobs because they have to. But my middle class mm. ass wouldn't know that. Um, so yeah, that's that's that case. Now let's move on to this whale of a case for many reasons. Huey, Dewey, Louie, Screwy, Manui, Tango, Swango, sucking you in a Dodge Durango, Fandango. <laughs> yep, that's what we're talking about now. Huey Long. Huey Long stockings. Um, he was <laughs> a political figure. In the uh, 20s and 30s. He was the kingfish. He could have very well become president. Mm -hmm. He had a, a very charismatic demeanor about him. He, uh, he had the gift of gab. He could get in front of a, a large group of people and speak very, you know, convincingly and very comfortably. And, and he just seemed very in charge. Mm -hmm. he, he seemed like the boss. But this man was also, for the 20s and 30s, incredibly progressive to the point to where he had some like quasi-communist type ideas, like redistribution of wealth. And had this been a few decades later, the 19s and 1940s and 50s, this guy would have definitely been a victim of McCarthyism. Like, they would have been like, this man is a communist. Yeah. Like, but... For the time, he I have was... to say about the McCarthyism thing, like I, I saw a video that recently that just like blew my mind. Uh, that's not necessarily the right term to use because McCarthy didn't really do that much. It was some other guy, but you know, yeah, I'd recommend. It's a video by Razor Fist, um, and he uh, talked about how uh, Hollywood was always red. And, and, and it's actually a real eye-opener because it brings up a lot of facts and stuff that you normally don't hear from the media because the media is trying to say that, oh, McCarthy, McCarthy, McCarthy and I thought that too because I, that's what I've been taught, and, and it's really not the case. So oh, okay. check that's, that video that's out. Interesting. The more you know. But yeah, this yes. guy, Huey Long, man, they start going over his credentials in the beginning of the segment. And they're talking about by 29, he had successfully argued two cases in front of the Supreme Court. I'm 29 right now, and I've successfully, like, lived in my own place for, like, a year and not been evicted yet. <laughs> so, I feel a little inadequate <laughs> compared to this guy. I sh you shouldn't play that game with yourself and other people, but I just can't help it. 
It's all, you don't live in you don't live in the Great Depression, so that yeah. But itself. I, dude, if I lived in the Great Depression, I'd be even worse off than I am now. It's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're you're not you're not a part of the Great Depression right now, and you're not dead. So that there's that too. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, it's true. I didn't think about it like that. Um, and they they also have a lot of like really well preserved like like footage of this guy speaking back in the twenties and thirties and and it's just really interesting seeing somebody give a speech in front of a bunch of people almost a hundred years ago. We have footage of that. That's crazy to think about. Like there's footage of this guy giving a speech and it's the audio is like crystal clear on it and you know he's talking about like you know. Um, just the redistribution of wealth that he's like, um, and we mustn't let the rich have all the wealth because the smaller man will indeed become yet smaller. And he had kind of had that, um, transatlantic accent, you know, that they all mm -hmm. had back then that, you know, was supposed to indicate that, Ooh, this guy's really intelligent. Listen to that, that, that uh, hybrid English American accent he's got going on, you know? Kind of like the, you know, listen here, everybody, gather around. I'm going to give a speech right now. My name is Huey Long. It's kind of like that. That's how he spoke. But it was interesting, though. I thought it was more of a Southern thing. He did. He did have that, too. You're kind of throwing a monkey wrench in this whole picture I'm trying to paint here, Mike. But he did He did kind of have a Southern accent as well. So, so now that I've lost all credibility as someone who can describe a fucking simple way somebody talks, let me tell you more about this guy. <laughs> um... He was a superstar of depression era politics, a fiery speaker. Superstar. Yeah, superstar. He was a fiery speaker known as the Kingfish. His name was Huey Long. At 34, Long was elected governor of Louisiana and became a senator three years later. So yeah, you're right. He did kind of have that more the southern with transatlantic with the kind of southern draw a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. Long was incredibly popular because he believed in redirecting America's wealth. In speech, he said, no man must be allowed to have too much. No man must be allowed to have too little. Unless you limit the size of the big, it necessarily means that the small people must become more and more impoverished as time goes on. Which is a notion that is still pretty much run on today by the Democratic Party. Yeah. I guess a lot of the a lot of the people who speak like that sound similar to L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Elrond, yeah, he's, yeah, Elrond's more like, Elrond's more flamboyant in, in his speech. Yeah. He's like, you know, and I took the prisoner to the planet. Uh -huh. Yeah, so. He was a national. But it's a similar sort of transatlantic yeah, thing. Yeah, it would, you know, grow up in, growing up in the same time and all that, you would, you know, they, they probably, you know, thought, oh, if I want to be perceived as an intellectual, I better master this funky ass way of talking. <laughs> Because I can tell you right now, my great-grandfather, and I only knew him for, you know, about six years until he died mm -hmm. in 1994. He he was born in, like, I don't know, or like 1901 or, or 1902 or something. Yeah. He definitely didn't talk like that. Can you imagine, like, having a, a PE teacher or something that was, like, trying to be all bombastic and and... Just like that, just all the time, and about the most generic, bland things. Just trying to be all epic about it. That'd be just ridiculous. No, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about, actually. So I can't imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's, I know there's an idea in there, Mike, but I, I couldn't get on board with that one, buddy. I'm sorry. So anyway, Huey Long was a national figure, and there was serious talk of a run for presidency in 1936. 
But that idea worried some people. I would imagine it would worry a lot of people with those um, mm-hmm. talks of his. It would it would worry a lot of people even nowadays. To the rich and powerful, Long was the enemy, and he received numerous threats. Numerous. That's a that's that's like even more than numerous. If it's numerous, that's that means it's uh, yeah. a lot. All right. <laughs> I believe you. But my Tommy gun don't. <laughs> nah, see? Some believed Long was better off dead than being president. I feel that way about certain presidents. I'm not going to say who, though. <laughs> so you can't really say anything about that comment because I didn't say who. In fact, a few were convinced it was the only way to stop him. Historian and author Ed Reed was quoted as saying, Huey Long had a great compassion for a lot of people. But that compassion did not extend to those who crossed him. Once you crossed Huey Long, you had an enemy for life. People lost jobs. They lost businesses. They lost lands. They lost everything because of the vindictiveness of Huey Long. Wow. So he wasn't a saint. Not if you go figure. Not if you crossed him. You know, a politician having this skeezy, you know, double-sided nature about them. Go figure. So Judge Henry Pavey of St. Landry Parish was one of the many elected officials that Long targeted for political destruction. And it was Pavey's 29-year-old son-in-law, a respected doctor named Carl Weiss, who is still remembered as the man who assassinated Huey Long. Four days before his death, Long returned to Louisiana from Washington, D.C. He had convened a special session of the state legislature. Legislator. Ignoring threats against his life, Senator Long walked boldly between the State House chamber and Governor Oscar Allen's office, where history says that Dr. Carl Weiss was waiting. Just after Long spoke to the governor, Dr. Weiss shot him in the hallway. Weiss was then shot more than 60 times by Holy Long's bodyguard. Shit. <laughs> I, I and the reenactment was awesome. And and let me also just say about the reenactment, yeah. they picked as opposed to the last reenactment where they cast like the worst person to portray Gregory Barker. In this case, they picked an amazing actor to portray yes, Huey Long. Perfect. Although nowhere, not as amazing as John Goodman though. Oh, did John Goodman do Hue- do a uh, Huey Long's? Yeah. It's a film called Kingfish. Oh, from 1995. damn. I want to watch that. I can't believe that. That's awesome. Yeah. John Goodman would have played a great Huey Long. So, <laughs> this guy Carl Weiss was gunned down so in the in the reenactment they are just like you know they have the first theory where Carl Weiss shoots Huey Long just point blank and his bodyguards just all turn around just bam 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 <laughs> bam bam just shooting this motherfucker like beyond dead like if this was uncensored this would just be a bloodbath. Yeah. It would just be, you know, bah, 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 you know, like, uh, it would be like that scene in Robocop when the guy got <laughs> shot by the Ed 209 and there's just blood everywhere. Yeah, like, this guy was just overkill. His ghost died, even. <laughs> his, his ghost got shot 60 times. Yeah, so Weiss's 32 caliber pistol was found beside him. Huey Long died 30 hours later. He was just 42 years old. His funeral drew more than 100,000 mourners. Five days after the funeral, an inquest concluded that Dr. Carl Weiss was the lone assassin. But now strong evidence indicates that Huey Long may have been killed accidentally and that Dr. Weiss is innocent. On the day Huey Long was shot, Carl Weiss and his wife ate Sunday dinner at his father's house. Carl's wife, Yvonne, was the daughter of Judge Benjamin Pavey, one of Huey Long's most outspoken critics. 
at the special legislative session. Legislative. I don't know why it's such a hard <laughs> word for me to say. Idiot. Got to insult myself to, for penance <laughs> on that one. Don't. So at the special legislative session Long had convened, he intended to eliminate Judge Pavy's position. According to those who present at the dinner, Dr. Weiss's father was ranting about Long and his attack on Judge Pavy at the special legislative se session. But despite his marriage to the judge's daughter, Dr. Weiss minimized Long's actions and tried to calm his father. Basically, Huey Long was trying to gerrymander the judge out of his district. Uh, gerrymandering is a term where basically they uh, they redraw up the lines of what districts are, and they, yep. they kind of do it in their favor. And it still happens to this day. Oh, absolutely. They do it for all kinds of different reasons, for voting power, like more people who are more likely to vote for a certain candidate. They may try to get the, the uh, district gerry, uh, gerrymandered into, you know... More to get the voters that are more going to favor them, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, so yet, even though he was trying to calm his father, just a few hours later, Dr. Weiss would lie dead in the state capitol, accused of assassinating Huey Long. He would leave behind his wife and a son, Carl Weiss Jr. I almost called him Carl Jr. <laughs> Carl Jr.? Yeah, Hardee's. Mm. He left his son, Hardee's, and McDonald's, um, sadly. So his son was actually actually granted unsolved mysteries a rare interview because he doesn't he didn't he wasn't really doing interviews but he gave it to unsolved mysteries and he's quoted here saying naturally most of what I know of my father is very secondhand but understandably it's been one of my major life interests there's been a lot of interest focused on the minute by minute detail of my father's day where he went what he did etc he spent the afternoon at home and then he left to visit the home of a man named Morgan who was a patient of his and a listener of ours in Canada. And I believe my father made a phone call from the Morgan home to make plans for the morning surgery. There, after he left, and for reasons I don't believe we'll ever know, he didn't go directly home, and the rest is, as they say, history. At the state capitol that evening, the career of Yvonne Weiss's father, Judge Henry Pavey, was on the line. House Bill Number 1, a redistricting plan, was Huey Long's top priority. If it passed, Judge Pavy would be removed from the bench. At 9 p.m., the session was still going strong. Huey Long did not notice the arrival of Dr. Weiss. Historian and author Ed Reeves believes Weiss went into the Capitol not to shoot Huey Long, but to plead his father-in-law's case. Quote, Carl Weiss took his position outside of the governor's office. He was not hidden outside of the governor's office. He was in plain view because he was approached by other people who knew him who saw him there, approached him, shook hands with him, talked with him. Ed Reed says that three times Weiss approached Huey Long that night, and three times he was brushed aside. Quote, On another pass, Weiss was a little bit more urgent, and he told Long that he really needed to talk to him. And Long once again said he didn't have the time to talk to Weiss. History records the rest in some blue haze, really. We're uncertain as to what happened. But that is how the scene was set for this particular moment. At 9.20 p.m., Dr. Weiss approached Long for the third and final time. The historians who are convinced that Weiss did not kill Huey Long believe that when Long verbally assaulted Weiss, Weiss punched him, which was stupid on Weiss's part. Why would you do that? Yes. The altercation brought a hail of gunfire from Long's bodyguards, and Long was accidentally struck by one of their bullets. Huey Long was taken to a nearby hospital. 
Despite his wounds, says Ed Reed, the kingfish remained very much in charge. Quoting Ed Reed here, Huey Long had been briefed as to who the man was who they claimed shot him. He had been given a lot of information. Somebody had to come up with a story as to exactly what happened there, and Huey Long felt that he was the man to tell it. Huey Long was shot around 9.20. He was operated on sometime around 11 o'clock. They went inside, found out that the colon had been punctured in two places. They sewed up Huey Long and then pronounced him cured. <laughs> However, the surgeons had overlooked a serious wound to the senator's kidney. Yep. A day and a half later, on September 10th, 1935, Huey Long died. At the official inquest, Dr. Carl Arston, Arston, Austin Weiss was named as Long's assassin. Historian Ed Reeds questions that conclusion. Quote, Most assassins leave a paper trail. They leave some hint as to what they did and why they did it. There was nothing like this. Carl Weiss was not a man who was preparing to shoot anybody. And at that dinner at noontime on September the 8th, he was the model of propriety. And really, he was in complete control of himself. Carl Weiss was a father of a three-month-old son. He was making provisions for the future. He spent a very normal Sunday, and there was nothing to incline anybody to believe that he had this on his mind. I think it was altogether incomprehensible that he could have been the perpetrator of this crime. That paragraph is almost incomprehensible. <laughs> it's a, he spent a very normal Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that. Yeah, that was a difficult. Uh, for my reading rainbow level ass, that was a hard uh, reading rainbow. Reading rainbow. <laughs> no one disputes that Carl Weiss owned a gun, a thirty-two caliber pistol, which he kept in the glove compartment of his car. However, Ed Reed believes that he has uncovered evidence that Huey Long was not shot by that gun. The official version of the operation makes no mention of a bullet being retrieved from Long's body. But Reed heard a conflicting story from a relative of one of the surgeons. Quote, During the operation, there was a 38 caliber bullet removed from Huey Long. This is significant because Carl Weiss was alleged to have been carrying a 32. But the bodyguards were carrying 38s and 45s. So therefore, if a 38 was removed, and I believe it was, then that could have not come from Carl Weiss or his gun, certainly. Within half an hour of the shooting, Dr. Weiss had been tentatively identified as Long's assailant. Weiss's brother and cousin heard the rumors and went straight to the Capitol. There, they found Weiss's car, but when they came back with the keys, it had been moved at this point, and they still had no idea that Dr. Weiss had been killed. Weiss's brother and cousin discovered that the doctor's gun was missing from the glove compartment. To this day, no one could be sure who removed the gun from the car. Eloise Sahuk, a security guard at the state capitol that night, told Ed Reed that it was not Carl Weiss. Quote, one of the bodyguards, who is now dead, told me that he felt that the gun was a throwdown gun, that one of the bodyguards had gone out to the car that Carl Weiss had driven up in, had gotten that pistol, and had thrown it next to the body. Reed believes his theory is supported by Weiss's own actions inside the Capitol, quoting Ed Reed here. If Carl Weiss was actually at the state Capitol to kill Huey Long, he had a perfect opportunity that passed. Huey Long had his back turned to Carl Weiss. It would have been very easy for Carl Weiss to shove his pistol against Huey Long's body, emptied out the magazine, and then make his escape. 
Because of the rumors that had been flying that there would have been an attempt on Huey Long's life that night, because of that, fuses were very, very short. Something that happened that night, perhaps Carl Weiss hit Huey Long, perhaps he just moved too fast. And I think the bodyguards, who were without any training whatsoever in security, I think they overreacted. I think bullets that entered Huey Long's body were the bullets that came from the bodyguards' guns. Reed offers up what he believes is one final piece of evidence. When Huey Long was admitted to the hospital, his lip was bleeding. Long apparently explained, that's where he hit me. Was Long referring to his encounter with Carl Weiss? According to a sworn affidavit from a witness, he most certainly was. In hindsight, there seems to be considerable doubt about who actually shot Huey Long. But at that time, it was treated as an open and shut case. No one was allowed to investigate further, and all the official records, as well as Dr. Weiss's gun, disappeared a few years after the inquest and remained missing for more than half a century. That is, until Professor James Stars, a forensic expert, began researching the case. Quote, In trying to find the gun in the state police files, I decided that the police are the prime suspects that should be looked at starting from the top down. And I literally made a laundry list of the individuals with Louis F. Guerrera at the top of that list. Louis F. Guerrera was the head of the Criminal Bureau of Investigation in Louisiana at the time of Huey Long's death. Years after Guerrera died, a researcher hired by Stars found Guerrera's will in the public records. According to Professor Stars, quote, there was a listing in the inventory of miscellaneous files listed as no value. Now, being a lawyer as well as a scientist, I realize that inventories of estates do not list items of no value. They certainly don't list items in this kind of a mysterious way as miscellaneous files. And I said to myself, those are the state police files. Guerrero's will listed something else of interest, Carl Weiss's gun. With the gun were several unused 32 caliber bullets and one spent 32 slug. At first, it was assumed that this was the bullet that killed Huey Long, but ballistics tests showed it did not come from Dr. Weiss's gun. The obvious questions were, where did it come from and why was it kept with the gun? Some believed that the answer would be found with the official state files, which were also recovered by Starr's investigation. However, the Louisiana State Police reviewed the files and concluded that there is nothing in them that changes the original ruling. Captain B. Ronald Jones spoke for the Louisiana State Police, quote, It's my opinion that Dr. Weiss was the assassin in this case. We believe from a law enforcement standpoint that he had motive, we believe he had opportunity, and we believe he had the means to do the job. And we know that he was there. Now, just going off of that means motive and opportunity, yes, he does fit the bill. But... None of- I don't think he did it. I really don't. With all the evidence that's provided here, I think it was. I think he punched too along in the face, which was stupid. Uh, which was dumb, incredibly stupid on his part. But I don't think he shot him. I think it was an accident thing. The bodyguards retaliated to the punch, and then, and, and then ensuing firefight uh, actually hit Huey Long as well, and then they tried to cover it up, and maybe one of the bodyguards was uh, somebody in the police department. And that explains the will thing, or maybe they knew somebody in the police department. So I, I feel like in this case, you could, you know, it's they always say means, motive, and opportunity when it comes to a murder. 
Well, I feel mm-hmm. like in this case, you need to throw in a fourth one, means, motive, opportunity, and fortitude or constitution to do to be able to actually do something like this. And if you look at this, if, if you look at Carl Weiss, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy. I mean, it, it, they talk about, you know, he was having a Sunday breakfast with his family and he was defending Huey Long and he was trying to quell the situation. And he just did not seem like the kind of guy who would just. It looks like Stephen Colbert. Yeah, yeah, it kind of <laughs> does. He's got those like those circular glasses, you know. And yeah, can you imagine Stephen Colbert trying to, you know, yeah, and he, he had, he had, anybody? He, kind of, he had kind of like a very, uh, as far as they portray him in the in the reenactment, he had kind of like this very dainty personality, and yeah, you know, he he was this very, you know, nebbish, very nerdy, yeah, nebbishy kind of guy, and uh so yeah i don't believe he had the constitution to 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 do that i just i don't so going on here dr carl weiss jr is hoping new evidence will clear his father's name and quoting his son here he says the amount of time that may have elapsed since an occurrence really doesn't change one's desire to see the truth brought out and i care probably more today than i did when i was a youngster about the truth concerning my father if i were asked whether my father shot huey long Today, I would say categorically, no, he didn't. But, you know, that's his son. And as we've seen, the family never wants to believe the worst. Yeah, but it, the evidence doesn't match I mean, up. Yeah, I mean, I am, I am with him on this one. But I will say, you know, <laughs> the son saying, no, I don't think my dad shot a yeah. beloved political figure. Well, I think there were some instances, though, where the, the, the kids were like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that my dad... Would do something what was like the that. craziest I've seen on Unsolved Mysteries so far when it comes to those cases is the case of Bonnie Haim, where mm-hmm. Bonnie Haim's parents were sticking up for the husband who suppo- yeah. who's being charged with <laughs> killing her, and uh-huh. and his it, his people, his family, his sister and parents, they were saying he, they thought he, he might have been guilty. Yep. You'd never see that on this show or mm. anywhere else. So that was the craziest thing we I've seen. So there's an update to this. Uh, Colonel Francis Grevenberg, head of Louisiana State Police Department during the early 50s, was among those who believed that Long's bodyguards killed him accidentally. And Grevenberg was in a position to know. He claimed that st- two state troopers were eyewitnesses to the shooting, told him that uh, Dr. Carl Weiss was unarmed when Long was shot. The state troopers confirmed that after the bodyguards shot Long, they planted a gun on Weiss. Despite this information, the official position of the Louisiana State Police is still that Dr. Carl Weiss killed Huey Long. Of course. Why, why, why would they change things? It's one of those things where, you know, back then it was probably some good old boy network and they don't want to besmirch or... Uh, stain the name of some older police officers or whatever for mishandling the case that's too bad an hbo documentary didn't go in at the time and uh do a documentary on carl weiss and and carl weiss jr and you know all that and then get all these uh celebrities to rally around together for him like west memphis three was able to do So there is one final piece of evidence that suggests Huey Long's death might have been accidental. Records uncovered decades later reveal that a $40,000 life insurance payment was awarded to Long's family. At the time, insurance company investigators concluded that Huey Long's death was, quote, accidental. So, yeah, I mean, 
Huey Long from the video clips, there's even a clip of him like being real jokey and all that. He seemed mm-hmm. like a very likable guy. He seemed like a very charismatic individual. Um, yeah. I love, like I said, I love his portrayal in Unsolved Mysteries. You know, he's he's talking to the other Congress people in there and he's like, don't you dare backtalk me. I'll break you as fast as I made you. <laughs> Shit yeah. like that. And Yeah, the reenactment was really good and, and it's a good case. Um, but I think the biggest mystery is why the Louisiana State Police isn't like just saying, yeah, the evidence doesn't match up. Uh, uh, the the cause of death, uh, it, it was accidental and, and we don't know for sure who uh, shot uh, Huey Long. Uh, dude, I'm sure it's like grandparent or grandkids of grandkids who are like sticking up for their yeah. like corrupt, you know, the original judge who you know ruled that carl weiss was guilty and all that i'm sure like Mm -hmm. all the descendants of that judge and the you know the political offices of louisiana are like trying to keep this like you know trying to keep it on carl weiss instead of Mm -hmm. you know they're trying to uphold that corruption pretty much is what i think so uh, speaking of cases that were featured on Unsolved Mysteries, uh, there was actually an update to one. Um, one, I never thought there would be an update for this one, because this one seemed like the killer covered his tracks really well, knew what he was doing, uh, could have been a potential serial killer. And um, finally, we have a potential resolution. It looks like it is a resolution, because DNA matched the the, the um, suspect. This is from May 21st of 2018 from CBS News. Yeah, it's a little bit late, but, you know, better uh, late than never when it comes to uh, covering this particular update. This is an update on the uh, murder of uh, Tanya Tanya Van Sulenberg. Um, and I believe it was also uh, Jay Cook was also another uh, teenager that was murdered. Um, this is this was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. It was a case we covered on the podcast before. It dealt with uh, this teenage couple. They went on a ferry in Washington State, and uh, they never came home. And then their bodies were found later, and there was all kinds of just uh, disturbing sort of things that really did lead you to believe that it was a serial killer. So, um, new DNA technology has led to the arrest of fifty-five-year-old of a fifty-five-year-old man and the killing of a young Canadian couple in Washington State more than three decades ago. Police said William Earl Talbot II of SeaTac, Washington, was arrested Thursday for investigation of first-degree murder as he left his job at a trucking company in Seattle. Authorities announced his arrest at a news conference Friday in Everett. Where they said that Talbot is believed to be responsible for the 1987 killing of an 18 of 18 year old Tanya Van Sulenberg Borg, and detectives said that they're also trying to connect him to the death of her boyfriend, 20 year old Jay Cook. He was never on any lot list law enforcement had. There was never a tip providing his name. Shonamish County Sheriff's Detective Jim Sharp said of Talbot, "It hadn't been if it hadn't been for genetic gene- genealogy, we wouldn't be standing here today." Talbot was identified as a suspect through genetic genealogy, the same technique used to arrest Joseph James D'Angelo, who the police said was the Golden State Killer in California. It wasn't immediately clear if Talbot has an attorney. The family reacted to the arrest at the news conference KRO reported. 
Yesterday, the killer had his last sleep in his own bed, his last coffee break, his last day of freedom, Cook's sister Laura Banstra said. It's hard to put into words the relief, joy, and great sorrow this arrest brings. Tanya Van Sulenborg's brother, John, added, They were both gentle souls, caring and trusting kids, and they were betrayed. Hopefully this is the start of some justice for them. Van Kuhlenberg and uh, Cook left their Saanich, British Columbia homes on November 18, 1987, for an overnight trip to Seattle. They were driving a brown 1977 Ford van to buy furnace parts for Cook's family business. When the couple failed to return home, their families filed a missing police missing da, 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 da. When the couple failed to return home, their families filed a missing persons report. On November 24th, a man walking on an isolated road south of Bellingham, Washington, discovered Van Sulenborg's body. She had been sexually assaulted, bound with plastic ties, and shot in the head. Cook's battered body was found the next day, about two miles south of Monroe, Washington. The two locations where the bodies were found were about 75 miles apart. Police were able to obtain DNA from the van. In April, investigators from Shawano Mission Skagit counties said that they had sent DNA belonging to the van Sulenborg's killer to a lab that provided scientific approximations, approximations of what the killer might look like based on traits embedded in his genetic code. From there, DNA genotype data was uploaded to the public genetic genealogy website that found likely matches for two of Talbot's relatives, and further work by a genealogist led to Talbot, the Shonamish County Sheriff's Office said. Police acquired a DNA sample from a cup Talbot had used and discarded, and the sample was found to match DNA from crime scene evidence. Detectives are still seeking tips about Talbot's activities in 1987 and 1988. So how does that make you feel, Mike? Feels good. You know, that there's... uh, some justice for this particular case for all these years. Yeah, that gives me hope that there can possibly be other cases that were featured on the show that could get also get similar results thanks to this new genetic genealogy. By saying that word five times fast. Genetic genealogy. Yeah, it's kind of a messed up word. All right, so up next, um, I, I just want to do this kind of as a public service. I, I do this every now and then. Um, I, I just feel like it's important, you know. Um, just want to tell you about one of your uh, listeners. Uh, they are a Patreon, and um, they go by the name of Liam Mitchell. And um, Liam told me this story uh, very much in private, in secrecy, and in just very. Just wanted to, you know, wanted me to keep it just close to to the. The cloak, close to the breast. What's the term? The vest. Close to the vest. There you go. But you guys know me. I'm kind of a bastard. So I'm going to tell everyone out there his story, what happened to him. So he was on a cross-country drive, and he's he's married. So Liam and his wife, Amy, um, they experienced car trouble after an accident. So they find themselves stranded in the New Mexican desert. And the two catch a break. And this passing truck driver, he comes up and he says, Oh, my name's Red Bar. You know, to, you know, pleased to meet you. He, uh, he actually offers to drive Liam's wife, Amy, to a nearby cafe to call for help. And, you know, Liam's like, Okay, cool. I will continue to try to fix this car, work on it, you know, while you do that. Maybe a little sketched out on it, but he he just, you know, went with it. 
So meanwhile, Liam fixes the car and he makes his way to the cafe and he finds no trace of his wife. She's totally missing. And he 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 meets back up with the trucker and he's like, "Yo, where's my wife?" And he's like, I, "I'm sorry, who are you? Have we met?" You know, he doesn't know he doesn't seem to know anything about anything that's going on. He speaks with a deputy. Um, then he, he goes back to the diner and then Billy, a mentally impaired mechanic, informs Liam that Amy left with some men but refuses to speak with the police, claiming that they are involved. So Liam rushes to the location that Billy mentioned but is ambushed on a back road by someone named Earl. He escapes by driving his Jeep into a river, guys, okay? Then he circles back on foot to watch his attackers salvage a Jeep from the river. He is then discovered and knocked out by Billy. When he wakes up, he's confronted by Billy, who feigned mental impairment, come to find out, Earl, and another, another accomplice named Al. Their leader? Huh, none other than Red Bar, the semi-truck driver who informs Liam that he wants $90,000 in his bank account and orders him to withdraw the money in the nearby town of Brackett in exchange for his wife's life. Realizing he only has a fraction of the assumed amount, Liam attempts to alert the bank manager to his plight. However, paranoid that Red's group is keeping an eye on him, Liam abandons the idea and steals marked money ribbons and a letter opener. He uses... The money ribbons to pack stacks of $1 bills between $200 bills. It was kind of ingenious, uh, Liam. I can't believe you thought to do that. It's crazy. Liam is then instructed to leave town where Earl picks him up and binds him with duct tape. Earl begins gloating about how Liam and his wife were easy targets, how he tampered with their Jeep, and that his group intends to kill them anyway. Liam cuts himself free with the letter opener and stabs Earl. After a brief struggle, Liam takes over the vehicle, binds Earl, and tortures him to reveal his rendezvous with Red at a local truck stop. So, at the truck stop, Liam sees Red and stows away under his truck. Early the next morning, Red arrives at his farm. Liam sneaks into the barn, discovering evidence that Red has a history of robbing and killing people, and that his real name is Warren. Al and Billy arrive with a bound and gagged Amy. Thank goodness she was still alive. Liam, you know. And the three lock her in a freezer in the barn cellar, leaving her to die. Unable to open the cellar door, Liam finds a gun and demands the cellar key from Red. When he is distracted by Red's son, Billy escapes. Liam forces Al, Red, his wife, and his son to release Amy, then locks them in the cellar. Liam and Amy steal a pickup and flee, while Billy returns to free Red and Al, who each pursue the Taylors in their own vehicle. Their last name's Taylor. It's Liam Mitchell Taylor, by the way, if I didn't establish that uh, earlier. I'm sorry about that. So during the p pursuit, Billy is killed when Liam forces his car off the road. Shortly after, the trailer from Red's truck detaches, causing Al to violently crash into it. Undeterred, Red attempts to force Liam and Amy's vehicle off a bridge trapping Amy's leg underneath the dashboard. Liam rushes out of the vehicle. 
and into Red's big rig, where a struggle over the steering wheel forces Red's truck over the edge, leaving it dangling on a steel bridge support. Liam fights Red on the suspended big rig, eventually hurling him to the rocks below. Liam frees Amy from the dashboard, seeing that Red survived the fall. Amy pulls the automatic shifter on their pickup, causing the semi to fall on Red and crushing him. Sitting on the edge of the bridge beside their mangled pickup truck, Jeff, I mean Liam, and Amy embrace each other. So, oh my god, Liam, like, what? That sounds really familiar to me. Um, Like, a a certain particular film starring a a guy, No, his last name rhymes with, like, Bustle? No, don't know what you're talking about. Mike like, can't say like, like Bert Bustle or something. Nope, nope, no recollection. This is a hundred percent true story that that Liam told me. So I don't really know. That's one hell of a breakdown. I don't really like the uh, inference that I'm a liar or that Liam's a liar. I think is a little disrespectful, but that's cool. I'm willing to look over it this one time, but. Uh, so yeah, Liam, I'm sorry that happened to you. Glad you survived. I mean, it's a crazy story. Um, if you yourself would like a crazy story told about you on the podcast, um, then consider uh, supporting us on Patreon. We're patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And, uh, you know, just just be mindful when you tell me anything about your life. I'm probably going to tell everybody who listens to this podcast, which is about 4,000 people a week. So if you want that many people knowing your business, then by all means, support us on Patreon. Um, let's see. Well, it's not just that. I mean, we have other perks too, but... Well, yeah, yeah um, <laughs> for sure. Oh, also, I want to say, uh, if you would like to buy an official Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries t-shirt, these things look dope. They look awesome. The guy did a great job. So yeah, um, if you would like a, a copy of your own shirt, the link is... To buy the t-shirts is in our description of this very podcast. Look in the description and you will see a link that you can click on. It'll direct you to where you can... uh, We have men's and women's t-shirts, so you can choose which one you'd like. And it's that simple. So uh, please do that if you want to support us in that way and you want to represent to everyone your favorite podcast or one of your favorites anyway. Uh, I think that's all we have for this episode. Mike, do you have anything else? Well, I mean, we both have YouTube channels as well. Oh yeah, um, right. Um, so if you want to, uh, <laughs> if you want to catch us on YouTube, if you like us, uh, but you want us a little bit more separately, you know, and less, less, less together, then you can find Mike on his YouTube channel that he's been working on for ten years at YouTube.com/slash/OCPcommunications. <laughs> he does movie reviews. What was the last movie you reviewed, Mike? Uh, the last uh, movie I reviewed was. Uh, a film called We Are Still Here, and then I posted a video showing some Star Wars novels from the expanded universe that Disney is trying to act like doesn't exist, even though you can buy the books. They're like, oh, it's no longer canon. It's it's not. And then I'm like, I, I, I can read it. I, I can grab it right now and read it. So I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't understand that, like, retroactively trying to erase shit. It's like. Sorry, like I, I can easily uh, access it. Like, do you think Disney has uh, has completely fumbled the ball with the Star Wars franchise? Oh, I, yeah, I do. I feel so because they 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 uh, they did not have a set game plan. Um, 
what's interesting is the original trilogy kind of didn't have one either, but it just seemed to work out better. Um, but here, but, but the thing is with the original trilogy, they still maintained a lot of the same writers and so on and so forth with this new trilogy and these spinoffs, they don't have the same writers and they don't know really what they're doing. So they're taking a page from DC and Warner brothers with their DC expanded universe. And like, that's not even really a good idea because the DC, uh, cinematic universe is a clusterfuck. And, uh, th there's a really poor foundation there. And the same thing is going on with the star Wars thing. There's a poor foundation. Uh, the force awakens was JJ Abrams who put together something. There are all these different mystery boxes with stuff. And then Ryan Johnson comes in as a total dick and decides, I'm going to do a deconstructive narrative of Star Wars in the second movie in the trilogy. It's the dumbest decision possible you could do for a trilogy. So you already had characters that were playing in, in the first place in the first movie. The second film doesn't give you anything extra for you to connect with them or learn more about them. So by the time we're going to get to the third film, you have characters that suck, you don't give a shit about, and you have a story that's been deconstructed so badly that it's like, where are you going to go from there? And it, it's one of those things that's like Disney and Lucasfilm were just like, hey, whatever director, just play in the sandbox and do whatever you want with Star Wars. And I, I don't really think that's going to work with, with uh, this particular franchise, with this trilogy. They should have taken a page out of their own book with Marvel and done a, a cinematic universe thing where, and they're trying to do that too, but then they don't have a set plan. It, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. It's such a bummer too, because like the star Wars series as a whole, like the original trilogy was so fucking good. So like mm. before the prequels came out, any talk of like, Oh, they're going to be doing the prequels to the first three Star Wars movies. It was like, oh my God, this is going to be crazy epic. Well, in comparison, honestly, I think the prequels, they, they are bad. Um, they have a lot of bad things about them, but I'd rather watch the prequels than a lot of the new Star Wars films because uh, they're not anywhere near as generic as these new Star Wars films are, and they're more, they're more cohesive of a narrative. Yeah, I f I have a feeling as time goes on, people are really going to sweeten to the prequels more so. Especially compared to these Disney abominations. I I, I don't know, man. I wouldn't go that far. I think they I think uh I think they're pretty I mean, the last one was was more definitely more on the generic side, but the uh the the first one's as generic as you can possibly get. I'll and Solo is 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 the most generic, and it makes sense that Solo had an had a advertising deal, a merchandising deal with Solo Red Cups. Like they actually sold Solo Red Cups with Solo on yeah, it. That was kind of with that Solo was ads. Corny. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I heard Solo's like kind of not doing so great for a Star Wars franchise. Well, it makes sense. They're trying to do that. They, they release a Star Wars film. Uh, like Solo, after they released a, released a Star Wars film like The Last Jedi, which is basically telling fans of the old trilogy, let the past die. And then here you go. Here's the new uh, Star Wars film, and it's a prequel about the past. Like, really, Disney? <laughs> like, like that, that was really... You thought that, that like, five months later, you're going to release Solo after all of that. What they did with Luke Skywalker and 
and let the past die and then oh hey enjoy the past again play hey look the past like we, we, we you know yeah we said let the past die but we meant let the past die in terms of the new trilogy because we want you to enjoy these new characters they don't really have any defining characteristics yeah, well, anyway, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, it's <laughs> youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And he did a video about his resting bitch face. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Um, I did. I, my last video I did is a video about those motherfuckers out there who just can't enjoy something fully unless the other person is smiling like a psycho, like a... Like a Patrick well, yeah. Bateman type psycho. <laughs> There's a problem with that too. Like the whole like, why don't you smile? Like I worked at the movie theater, and they had this whole thing like smile. You know, somebody like to smile at your at our guests. You know, uh, and I would do it, but like I wouldn't do it constantly because I just feel like that would just scare the guests away. If all of a sudden you're just like, hi, how are you doing? How are you doing today? Uh, uh, what movie are you going to see? Oh, that's a pretty good one. All right. Okay. All right. Um, would you like a, a large popcorn? Uh, would you like some soda with that? Would you like some candy? All right. Thank you. Have a nice day. You know, just always having a smile. Well, I've been told. Like you got I've been told. Gassed by the Joker. Yeah, I've been told there's, there's no. a way to do it. There's a way to do it that looks blah, blah, blah. But whatever, man. Like. That's not who I am. I'm not a smiley motherfucker. And I just recently saw this video um, <laughs> where this uh, this big game collector, his name's John Hancock, he did a video mm -hmm. on YouTube where he was talking about, like, you know, you need to smile. Like, he was giving advice to, like, new YouTubers, and he's like, smile. He's like, if I'm watching a 12-minute video and the person doesn't smile, I'm not watching it. I'm sorry. You know, blah, blah. And I'm like, what the... F Why are people... Why do people have certain people have such hard? If I'm watching a video and it's clearly scripted and you have no personality unless you have a script to read off of, or you have a, a video that's like forty minutes and it's just interspersed with all these fucking jump cuts, then yeah, I, I can't watch that either. But you know, there's a lot of stuff that's popular on YouTube that I, I don't get. I don't really understand, like Jenny Nicholson and her sardonic, sarcastic reviews where she nitpicks the fuck out of movies and then it's supposed to be funny because she's uh sarcastic about it i'm like it's just annoying i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> i don't want to watch somebody nitpick a film for 40 minutes and then make a few uh, uh good points here and there uh or the five minute reviews you know like how, how the hell can you be in depth about a movie if you're just you got five minutes well some but, people um, don't want a depth they want a synopsis you know but is that really a review? That's my thing. It's like, what are reviews becoming? That's a whole nother story. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I feel your pain. Some people have said that to me, surprisingly. But I've gotten better at uh, smiling more. Like I, I actually do make note of that when I do my videos. <laughs> I actually do. Like It's one of those things. It's like, uh, you know, especially if it's something that I like. But like, if it's something I don't like, I'm I'm mean mugging a, a lot of the time. Like, why should I be smiling about a movie that I think is a piece it's of just shit? Just part okay. of the whole like bullshit <laughs> politics you got to play, and I don't like it. But you know, it's kind of like entertain. That's the name of the it game. Is, it is the name of the game. It's 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 entertainment politics. You know, fake smiles, 
it, it it does it does sell more. It sells more by by you know being. But you gotta you gotta balance that. Like if you if your personality is just as fake as your smile, that's a problem. Yeah, I see that a lot with some. There was like a, a house hunting show or something I saw, and the guy literally he, this guy he, he's smiling all the time, fake smile. This guy's an idiot. This is a hoarding show actually, and what he did. This is some rich couple in California. They wanted to move out of their house, so they found this house that they thought was perfect, and they didn't even go inside and look at it. They talked to the person and said, hey, would you sell your house? And they're like, yeah, and then they go in later. Oh, it's a hoarding house. Holy shit. Wow. Oh, damn. This is crazy. And then they pretty much have put this ultimatum with the person uh, that live that was living in the house, you know, clean your shit out type thing. And eventually that kind of does happen, not as fast as they would like, but the damage to the house is so extensive, they have to literally rebuild the whole thing. And, you know, there's all the soldiers sort of smiling, and I swear, the guy's a real estate agent, so that makes sense. Like, he's, he's just, like, always like, ha-ha, yeah, look, it looks like a, it looks like a Stepford, yeah, Stepford husband. <laughs> he really does. That's, dude, that's what I was saying in my vlog. It's like, that's what I feel like when I'm, doing that like I, it's so unnatural for me to, to to smile it's more natural for me to do like just i don't know just a neutral well i feel like it's a neutral expression but it's more like a grimace i guess <laughs> that just feels but i mean if i'm talking you know if i'm talking i'm not i'm not having a resting bitch face i don't understand that like smiling and talking at the same time like just looks like you just look like a grinning idiot, like you're a dope. <laughs> like, you just look like a fucking dope. Like, you have no intelligence in your head, and you're just like, Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Josh's YouTube channel. My name's Josh, and I have a belly button, and I can count to this many. <laughs> like, fuck that, man. And, and like, the angry video yeah. game nerd. He's, like, one of the, arguably one of the biggest gaming YouTubers out there. Did he smile like a fucking real estate agent for any of his videos no he was angry and yelling and no shit. even the nostalgia critic doesn't smile as much he does a few times but when he does it just looks creepy anyway yeah. so i can see why he doesn't smile yeah, so it's like there's like the top people out there aren't these like grinning idiots so like i wish people would get that notion out of their head that oh if you don't smile it's not i get it for some things you want to be friendly and shit but it's just not who i am anyway i got it i got a split i gotta go to my karaoke gig um, I hope everybody has a good rest of their week, and uh, please uh, remember to send me the pictures in the group of you wearing your Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries t-shirt whenever you get it. I want to make an album of all of our beautiful fans representing their their favorite podcast, our favorite podcast. Well, it's not my favorite podcast, but it's, <laughs> wow. it's a podcast that I host. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you, I think it's kind of douchey if your favorite podcast. Yeah, it is. is it the is. One you yeah. Host. yeah. That would mean that I'm listening to my own podcast in my free time, which would be kind of weird. Although I do do that sometimes for quality assurance reasons. Um, but anyway, oh, any, quality assur assurance reasons. Just making sure the sure. audio sounds good and all that shit. But um, sure. Until next week, have a good rest of your <laughs> night, day, weekend, whatever. Bye. Sayonara. What's up everybody, Josh here. Just wanted to let everyone know that my new album, The Nightmare Inside You, is now available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. Thank you for any and all support. It means the world to me.
it sucks, man. Like it's it's rough if you've never had a job before or whatever. I mean, it's or, or you've had jobs, but they haven't been like significant, you know, no. that are gonna wow people on resumes or anything. No. Um I'm glad I already got my AA degree, even though it doesn't mean Jack Diddley Dick in this economy or in this world that we live <laughs> in now. I'm just glad I have it that so even if I wasn't doing the DJ stuff, like I feel like I could still go back to college and get a bachelor's in something and probably, yeah. probably be something with graphic design or computer something or other. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm looking at college just like I'm working on DTC and learning how to do certain things on that in that field and and uh, working on my writing and who knows, maybe things can work out with either one of those. But. You know, I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna make the effort because and, and uh, I just I just feel like things are getting a little bit tight, uh, not only for me but for you know I you know other people. So I just want to try to carry my weight more, so to speak. Um, it has to happen. That does at some not point. mean that I won't have time to do the podcast. I'll I'll, I'll I will uh, make the time, but uh, so I I just it would be nice to get. At least some interviews, you know, like at least that far. Yeah. Know. Well, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have something special planned. I mean, it's the 100th episode. I mean, there are a lot of podcasts that do make it to 100, but there's some that don't, you know? I mean, Mike, you've never stuck with anything long enough to get to 100, you know? I mean, you're just, you're just giving up on everything, you know, and just oh, never... That's not... That's not necessarily. I've done more than a hundred videos. I mean, you you on, don't on have my, a YouTube channel. YouTube. You don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Mike, dude, Mike has stuck with that goddamn YouTube channel for like a fucking decade now. Yep. I can't believe it's just it's just it's just a fun thing to do. Really. Yeah, it's 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 a fun way to pass the time, and 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 I have a it's a small community of fans, but it's still a community of fans, and you now that that means so much to me. I never thought anybody would like what i i would do or put out there so you know it's more than some people can say there are people who might have more subs but they don't have as many you know diehard fans you were really smart to start youtube when you did and like stick with it and all um yeah. I, I wish i had started it back when you started it man i'd be so for much ahead of the game right yeah now. i think you would, i think you would have done really well yeah. Like even better than me, possibly because of your production values and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just it's so oversaturated, and it's almost like the Unsolved Mysteries podcast game. You know, there's a lot of Unsolved Mysteries podcasts. <laughs> yeah, now there is. I I feel like like right now, to my knowledge, aside from ours, there's three others. Well, four if you want to count Robin's. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't really count his as an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. He's kind of doing his own thing. Uh, I feel like with with the amount of other unsolved mysteries podcasts out there now there's you know you get slightly different flavors and takes i feel yeah. like that's fine like but if you took something like say a star wars podcast oh god help you there's probably a hundred of them at least <laughs> um so i think it's cool that you know if you want a, a different point of view from ours and maybe check out perhaps it's you or if you want mm -hmm. a, a different view from theirs and ours check out stack pack or reenacted you know shout out to all those uh -huh. podcasts yeah Oh yeah, no. My, a lot of my friends had gauges, and and this is just a personal opinion of mine. And this is no judgment. Like I myself have a bunch of tattoos and piercings and shit, but the gauge thing, I could never get behind that because not only does it dis disform and dis I'm recording a podcast. Okay, thanks, mom. Thank you. I'll drink the shake later. Oh well, thank you. That then. that's our first edit, folks.
21. Mike's mom. 3421. Um, but now like and at that dinner at noontime on September the 8th, he was the model of proprietary. And really, god damn it. Another edit. Proprietary. It's propriety, you dumb shit. There's a lot of, but I don't blame you. There's a lot of words in this one. Like, this is a long. <laughs> yeah. Leave it to me. Uh, Carl Weiss was a father of a three month year old son. Three month year old son, Josh? <laughs> God damn. Take three, motherfucker. I love it. Just motherfucker. <laughs> and at that. Imagine, Sam, imagine just Sam Jackson. <laughs> Sam Jackson doing this. That'd be funny, man. <laughs> he would probably do it good because he's a fucking professional, unlike me. <laughs> yeah. 